Hello, and welcome to Beyond Prospecting, the Apper podcast, featuring thought-provoking conversations with prospect development and fundraising experts. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Hello, and welcome to the latest Apper podcast. I'm Mirabai Auer, and I head up the data science group at University of Chicago, and I'm also APRA's Plug-in to Data Science Chair. Today, we're going to discuss data science and team organization. So how are data science or analytics teams structured? Where does the role reside? And how is the role evolving? I've worked on several peer benchmarking projects on this topic, and I'm sure that you all listening have thought about all these questions to a certain degree. So first, though, joining me today are leaders in fundraising data science who are all part of the Plug-in to Data Science virtual conference, to be exact, on November 7th and 8th. This event is good for folks of all skill levels to, to brush up on some skills without the travel and expense of an in-person event. So you can gather your teams or just yourself in an office and enjoy two half days of interactive education and networking at an affordable rate. It's just over $200, um, which we know is very affordable. So if you want to learn more, visit the events page at www.aprahome.org and check out the session descriptions. You'll see a lot of interesting sessions. You'll see some speakers you're familiar with and also some new faces. And I'd especially like to thank Blackboard Target Analytics for being the exclusive sponsor of this podcast. As many of you know, Target Analytics is the data and analytics arm of Blackboard and the leading cloud technology partner for social good organizations like the ones we represent. Blackboard Target Analytics has been a sponsor of APRA for over a decade. They provide data-driven solutions for if you think of all the stages of the donor life cycle, they have something and have decades of experience helping nonprofit organizations when it comes to enhancing their constituent databases, identifying and understanding the best prospects, and also assessing program performance and just helping optimize fundraising efficiency. So we'd like to thank them for their continued support of APRA and welcome Lauren Tenzi the principal consultant of Black, for Blackboard Target Analytics, who's joining us today as one of our panelists. Welcome, Lauren. And our other Thank panelists you. include, great, thanks for joining us. And our other panelists include James Chang, Senior Associate Director for Prospect Identification Analytics at the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute, and also Jessica Laborde, Assistant Vice Chancellor of Advancement Services for the University of California, Davis. Both of them are speaking at this year's plug-in event. Welcome. Okay, guys. So thank we're going to get going then. And just thank you all so much for joining. Before we discuss topics of data science and team organization, let's start with a definition. How do you all define data science? So I think this is James. I, I, I'll start by um, maybe defining data science as a discipline that I think has both breadth and depth. Um, so in terms of, of breadth, um, there is data management, 
which is basically setting up data for reporting purposes. Um, so data transformation, um, getting data from one place to another, consolidating data, um, and, uh, and things related to that. Um, there's also data analysis, which is the um, extracting insights from, from the data, be it descriptively, um, predictively, or prescriptively. Um, and then finally, I think there's also insight communication, which is basically translating all those insights that you find um, as a result of your data analyses um, and, and reporting that or communicating that to um, pretty much everyone. Um, so that's breadth. And I also think um, there's a depth within each of these, uh, I guess, uh, pillars um, from what's essential to basically experts or, or specialist knowledge. Um, you know, so if you think of English or math or even medicine, you know, essential foundation stuff like your ABCs, your one, two, threes, and your CPR, um, to to um, having knowledge at the Nobel laureate level for literature or for economics or for medicine. Um, so I think um, when you think about data science, um, you have to, and defining that, the first thing you have to think about, I think it's, is the, the breadth of um, the different sub-disciplines within data science and also the depth um, in terms of how much knowledge uh, can uh, one actually attain for, for each of these uh, within that, that breadth of data science subdisciplines. Thanks, that's a great definition. It's very mm -hmm. expansive. Yeah. Jessica and Lawrence, would you have anything to add? Well, you know, I think that James really covered it. I think um, that the way that we define it here at UC Davis is, um, and, and I think broadly in the in in the category is that it's really an, an a machine-based way to extract data um, and to and glean those insights and I think that insights the insights portion is really the part that that many of us are interested in and I think I would add to that Jessica machine-based with human interpretation um, yeah of the, of the results, because one without the other doesn't quite work in my... Nope, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, it, I would add something, because I'm pretty confident that I'm the oldest person on this call. Uh, <laughs> and I've been doing this since 1983, 93, I'm sorry, 93, um, in terms of analytics and then data science. And so when I started doing it in 93, we were uh, with a company called Econometrics in Chicago. We spent a good part of our time trying to educate the marketplace, the nonprofit space, as to what analytics could add to specifically prospect identification. And in some cases, um, in higher education, predicting who is most likely to attend a particular college or university. Um, and it, it went off in a direction that uh, institutions weren't using at the time. It was uh, prospect identification was largely trying to find out who were the wealthiest people on the database, um, even if there wasn't a direct correlation for all people with wealth equaling philanthropic contributions. On the uh, predicting of enrollment side, there was, um, 
the reliance on buying lists of people with from particular states or um, particular interests and then recruiting everybody kind of equally. The application of analytics, of course, says let's look at other characteristics and try to narrow those groups down so we can uh, be much more efficient um, and successful in looking at those groups. Um, then I came to kind of learn of data science. Um, uh, when we started looking at applying data to nonprofit databases that weren't attached to their databases, so what I call external data. Um, and back in 1993, you could actually, if you chose to do so, purchase credit-specific data on individuals and use that for analytic purposes. Um, I view then the data science component, which is the ethics of using data like that and um, you know, privacy issues and things like that, that's when I really saw that coming into play. Just because you could access the data doesn't mean you should access the data. Um, so I kind of see data science. I, I, I love James' definition, um, and I, I love Jessica's addition of the machine component too because we're, we're all pretty very much there now. Um, you know, the future is kind of now in that, uh, from that description. But um, from my perspective, you know, always understanding that there are ethical components to the use of the data and then the security issues around keeping that data um, in a, an environment so that people can hack in there and take a look at that. Oh, I, I love, thank you all three of you for describing all these different facets of data science and there's a lot under the umbrella. You just did a really nice recap, Lawrence, of, of a lot of those pieces. And so if you do, so for the next part of this conversation, then thinking about all of those areas that you all mentioned, there comes to, um, to skills and content knowledge, transforming data into insights, making sure data is secure, data's relationship to technology and machines. If you think about that, and then you think about team organization and role, sit and think about that for just a minute. Um, why don't we start with the, the question of what do all of your teams look like? So James, you, I'll let you kick us off. Paint a picture of both your role and your team. Sure in the context um, of, especially like in the context of some of those um, pieces of data science you were just discussing. Right, yeah. Um, so um, I'm relatively new, I guess, again, it, um, at Dana-Farber. Um, this is sort of, uh, I consider myself part of the, the boomerang gang. Um, uh, a lot of, uh, basically, a certain percentage of, of us would uh, have done one stint um, at Dana-Farber, moved on to another organization, but have come back. Um, and in this role, um, it's uh, basically within prospect research. Um, and uh, what the, my, my particular focus is, is in building predictive models um, and using both uh, supervised and unsupervised uh, machine learning algorithms to basically extract insights from the data that we have. 
Um, there, we also have another analyst um, where uh, his focus um, is uh, sort of managing the data and 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 um, and expediting expediting certain reporting functions with for prospect research. Um, but um, our then we. The, the both of us are then um, very uh, closely work with our uh, DevIS uh, group within the, um, uh, the, the division of philanthropy, and they're the ones who are um, maintaining the data architecture, the structure um, of our databases. Um, and so, so yeah, that's that's our team uh, structure right now. Oh, great! And Jessica, what about? What about your team? Yeah, so um, within Advancement Services here at UC Davis, we have a business intelligence team that is led by a director of business intelligence. And um, those are the folks that um, really are doing the machine part of the machine learning. Um, we then have a separate team of um, business relationship managers under uh, customer services that uh, take that data and synthesize it into um, understandable, actionable results that we can then use to uh, make decisions with. So we do have a, a bifurcation in responsibilities there, which um, I think that there are some uh, rare people like James in the world that can do both, um, but um, we have found it a, sort of a unicorn position to try and hire for. So. Um, <laughs> We really like uh, to have that bifurcation. It just makes, I think, everybody's lives lives a little bit easier for us here. I like to say I, I'm I consider myself a blackamoor unicorn. I look like a <laughs> unicorn from a blackamoor, <laughs> but when you get closer, maybe not so much. <laughs> but yeah, I, I like I like the fact. Um, <laughs> I like the fact, Jessica, that 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 basically, yeah, we, I I feel like um, uh, with for data scientists, um, that unicorn in some senses is really tough because not only um, do you need that technical expertise, and again, you know, we talked about the breadth and the depth of data science, but then there's also I think um, the component of domain knowledge. Um, yeah. That's even within, you know, I, I worked at MIT way back in the past in higher education, and now in a, uh, a cancer uh, institute at Dana Farber. Um, we're still under the philanthropy umbrella, but the the the, um, the verticals are different enough where uh, you sort of have to know um, these, uh, I guess, quote unquote, markets. Um, and then, you know, finally, that that other intersection is learning about all the business processes and the um, project workflows and sort of the bottom line of your ROI and, you know, um, the um, meeting business goals and objectives. Um, so all of that, yeah, I just, um, I think it's, it's exciting, but it's also very challenging as well. Yeah, absolutely, because you can 100% know how to build an algorithm, but if you don't know how any of those results are going to be interpreted by the business, then you're kind of dead in the water, right? I, yeah, I, I can't right. emphasize that domain knowledge enough. It's just so critical. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Totally Laura, agree. Um, sure. Um, you know, I work with organizations of all different types um, and sizes, so I get to see um, 
work with some organizations where there's no uh, there's no specific data science or analytical um, designation on staff. Um, they're pretty much relying on a, a company like uh, my company or another company to do that for them and bring it to them. Then um, organizations can be all over the board on how they do this. Uh, in my consulting experience, I can tell you that my goal is always to try to break down silos and make sure that whatever data science and analytical work is being done um, doesn't get stop at the border of some particular department, um, but gets used and absorbed and then and then actually applied. That's um, a great point. And, That's a great point. Sorry, I didn't, I didn't mean to interrupt you. <laughs> no, but, uh, no, but I think that I'm, I'm, I think... Always, I'm always willing to stop and uh, receive <laughs> praise. So go ahead. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so um, you know, James said something a little bit earlier when he was talking about his definition of data science, and he said, you know, get that information out pretty much. And you paused for a second. You said to everybody, and I think it's that everybody part that sometimes gets missed, especially when you have. Um, perhaps a younger program, or you have um, leaders that are not well-versed in what, uh, what this data can be telling you and how you can use this data. Um, so I think that there is sort of a learning curve in terms of educating our senior leaders on why this is important um, and, and packaging that information in a way before you ever bring them any, any other, you know, true kind of analytics or, or data sets that will help them make decisions. They have to understand why it's so valuable. Yeah. Right. And yeah. I, I even if, hear, hear the term. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead, Lawrence. Sorry. <laughs> I was just going to say, if senior leadership doesn't buy in or know what's going on, then you run into the obstacle that if it's not being used, like I was saying with the, uh, the silos and things like that, yeah, um, that the person best position to make sure that stopped happening, the senior leadership, hasn't bought in. Um, yes. So it's not going to work very well in those situations. Like, um, you know, it's, let me tell you, somebody who sells analytical services, when you go onto a campus or to an organizational headquarters or something like that, and you get there and then you find out the last minute the leadership is not going to attend, you're very frustrated because you know well, it's also, that... it's telling, right? It's telling. Yes. Mm -hmm. It's very telling. Um, you already know that uh, there's going to be obstacles to implementing this project um, because they found that they had something more important uh, to do than learn about uh, what could be done in terms of analytics and data science. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Go ahead, so James. I feel like at the um, sort of at the, at the beginning, there, there's got to be sort of another role. You know, I think you know we we talked about this in in our previous uh, uh, um, preparing for this about someone who's. So at, are you going to use? The, are you going to say the thing? Are you going to say the thing? Oh, say the yes. thing. I'm going to say the thing. I'm going to say insight <laughs> evangelist. <laughs> yes. I mean, about, right. Um, um, so I'm just just an sort of an advocate for for um, specialization um, of roles um, 
in, in some ways because because it is pretty daunting um, you know even w especially when we are trying to merge domain knowledge with the technical and and the business aspects of our roles um, and so um, what I'm hearing you know what I'm seeing in in sort of the tech world the startup world and the d data science like for-profit space um, cutting edge or bleeding edge or whatever um, that uh, folks instead of calling themselves data scientists now, in, in general, they, they're more focused in their, on their resumes or, or their tight job titles. Like they would say they're a data architect or data engineer if their focus mm -hmm. is on um, data management. Or um, they would consider themselves a machine learning engineer if that focus is on data analysis. And then finally, insights evangelists, when um, they, you know, I think equally important having those soft skills of relating to people, but relating to data, relating to people, and then relating the data to the people. Okay, great. I love, James, I love your discussion of an insights evangelist is very interesting. If we think about the importance of communicating our findings to key business leaders and our, the importance of impacting policy and process, certainly having a person whose job it is to help evangelize is very important. And to the group, a related question is, is it also important, if you're thinking about impact, to think about where the data science position sits and its level of seniority? So that also helps us encourage more greater adoption of data science. So for instance, um, at the University of Iowa, I know that they have an AVP of data science. What's your take on where the data science role should sit in terms of its seniority? I um, have very strong feelings about this, so I feel like I need to, you know, <laughs> preface with that. I think that it is so critical that this um, evangelism is taking place at the highest levels of uh, operational leadership and then pushed up. I think that um, that there are, especially in large complex organizations, there are um, pockets of magic and pockets of brilliance happening all over. Um, and that yes, they have the opportunity to get siloed. But if if you have leadership that can um, bring to light the um, remarkable things that we can do with data science and um, business intelligence, that's, it has to live there and it has to push up um, through the vice presidential and presidential slash chancellor, depending on your organization level. Um, here at UC Davis, for philanthropy, I, I would say that I am the evangelist and that my team supports me in that. Um, but at UC Davis, we also have an assistant vice chancellor of business intelligence. So he and I work very closely together to make sure that um, our messages are consistent and that um, we are making sure that we continue to push that value forward so that um, we can continue to do this really great work. That's great, Dr. Sorry, if I can raise my hand here briefly. Um, I'm, Love to hear that. It doesn't happen at too many organizations, that, um, but I have long believed that uh, on somebody, uh, an insights evangelist, uh, analytics evangelist, 
should have a senior role in the organization. And then there also should be metrics developed around the use of analytical information. Um, so the people are held accountable for, um, you know, looking at it and using it in their everyday activities. Because um, why do it if we're not going to use it? And it sounds like Jessica, at your organization, since you you are senior and you are spreading that message at the senior level, you are if if one of the challenges of having the position be so senior might be that, for instance, communicating the findings down to to your partners is a challenge. It sounds like that is a hurdle that you're overcoming by having business customer service facing analysts uh, that work with individual partners. Is that correct? That's exactly right. So um, we have, as I said, business relationship managers who are assigned a portfolio of clients, basically, uh, across campus. Um, we have, you know, 27 different units that we work, from, work with from, uh, you know, planned giving and uh, regional giving and our campaign team to our College of Ag or our veterinary medicine school. So all of them are considered to be our clients and each uh, business relationship manager uh, has a portfolio of clients. They sort of, um, not physically, but more uh, in terms of domain knowledge and, you know, emotionally embed with, with these clients to really get to know what their needs are because they're diverse, right? What um, what a school of veterinary medicine needs um, in terms of their grateful client program is very different than what planned giving needs in terms of um, their questions about data and that kind of thing. Um, so we have found that to be a very effective model because not only can those business relationship managers then be um, advocates for their clients internally, they can also um, really share the insights with those clients that matter to them because they know. Does that make sense? Definitely. And and for and James, I know you mentioned you're on the on the flip side, you're within the prospect um, development team. And what do you have any strategies if you think of for overcoming organizational silos and for just like for staying connected with the broader IT function or even just like yeah. broader um, partners that you employ? Yeah, so um, I think within the division of philanthropy, um, I think uh, Jessica and, and Lawrence and Maribai, you guys are all absolutely right. There is um, top-down uh, in some way direction, right? And, and so, um, or I think for Dana-Farber, um, there is, there's always been a push more and more for collaboration. Um, and so that's uh, in some ways sort of built into our structure. Um, for instance, um, we have a, a, a couple of shadow programs um, and fellowship programs um, that are within the division of philanthropy where someone from, you know, AG or plan giving or, um, you know, or uh, communication 
might be interested in shadowing um, uh, analytics for a day just to see you know the the day-to-day -day things and and so that gives me an opportunity to ask questions about their businesses and their processes and, and vice versa um, the the more formalized fellowship programs um, is uh, I believe usually uh, I want to say like three four months long it's a quarter or a quarter plus um, for for these folks to actually come up and do a project. Um, so within um, uh, the division of philanthropy, there's already there's there's built in uh, sort of cross training of folks and 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 um, sort of organic leading to collaboration. Um, within the institution of Dana Farber Cancer Institute itself, there's a department of data science. And where um, I think for all of us uh, within our institution, who institute, who's um, using different aspects of data science, um, uh, we try to. It's almost like a grassroots effort to to come and, and connect one on one with different folks within the institution. Um, and we also, as a division, um, month to month, the 300 staff or so, we go and meet um, and listen in on uh, doctors, um, scientists, and other uh, folks within this institution uh, to give uh, talks on either their research or their programs um, on, uh, yeah, and, and different aspects of, of the FCI that, that sort of um, spurs on uh, ideas within uh, for for us and and just getting to connected to other parts of uh, Dana Farber that that we don't really know if, if we don't hear about these things. Oh, that's wonderful. And I think a lot of us, just speaking from the U Chicago experience, I know we're, we are, we've done some shadowing as well, and I know that we've um, definitely met with and are learning more about just some of the on-campus resources in terms of data science. Um, and in that way, too, are looking like to see who, like have the full picture of who's doing data science. And Lawrence, do you, as someone as a consultant who's working with a lot of different organizations, do you would you add anything about certain types of um, governance or um, programs that that places that really do it well when it comes to data science that they do to kind of keep these organizational silos to a minimum and keep data usage high? Um, honestly, there's precious few that I think do it well yet. Um, there's many out there that are improving um, quite a bit. To be quite honest with you, if there are a ton of organizations doing it well, I'm not sure what I would be doing for a living. Um, my consulting expertise <laughs> wouldn't meet it. <laughs> um, but uh, I was thinking when uh, James was talking um, about something that I'm going to interject and it may not make sense. It does, and Mirabai, it's not a direct response to the, the question you just asked. But um, when I first started in this field back in 93, um, it was really, really difficult to find people who could do this kind of work. Um, and um, 
now you see all sorts of programs across the country producing a wide variety of uh, analysts and statisticians and data scientists. Um, one of the things that um, I stumbled into blindly that worked out really well, and I would encourage um, people who ultimately listen to this podcast to think about, um, is that there's no one way to become a data scientist or analyst or statistician. Um, and when I started my first company, um, I had three uh, PhDs working with me to, to put together the statistical um, component of what we did. And one came from a PhD in psychology, another one was a PhD in uh, economics, another one was a PhD in business. Um, and then um, I taught them about philanthropy and they brought their expertise to bear on uh, statistical modeling. And each of them had a different way to look at it that ultimately got um, integrated into uh, what was produced. And so again, I would say there's a lot of value to different perspectives on how this can be done. Great. No, I think that's a. I think that's a really that's a that's a great point, Lawrence. I think, um, especially because this field is so rapidly evolving that we do get folks from mm -hmm. all uh, walks of life. I think that the most important thing from anybody um, is intellectual curiosity. Like you yes. want to be able to pull that string and be like, I wonder why it looks like that, and what what am I seeing here? And tell, let me. I really want to know more about this outlier. What is this pattern that I'm seeing? Just that intellectual curiosity, regardless of your background, I feel like we can teach you um, the business knowledge or provide you with the support that you need through, you know, other folks. Um, but if you want to know it and you want to learn, then this is a great space for you. That, yes, I agree. That dogged curiosity. Um, I, I remember this is, as we were building the company, that getting calls at 2 o'clock in the morning when I was traveling from one of the statisticians saying, I just got the answer to the question you posed two days ago. And I'm, you know, I would answer, it's 2 a.m. in the morning, and they go, I got the answer. Uh, so, um, <laughs> that was the kind of curiosity that answered a lot of great questions. Okay, well, you know what? Um, I completely agree, and I, not to use this opportunity to to mention plug-in, but I feel like it's now just been teed up perfectly, which is that I think for the plug-in event is going to really offer something for everyone. And definitely from what I've, I've looked at the folks registered so far, and it's folks coming from, from healthcare, nonprofit, higher ed, at the beginning of their career, at a little bit more seasoned, and so there is really something for everyone. And I thank you all. I think that's a great note to end on, that many people can contribute to this field and that it, curiosity is the key ingredient. And I'll, I'll let us stop us there. And I'd like to, again, thank you. Thanks, Lawrence, for joining. Thank Blackboard Target Analytics for their continued support of APRA's educational programming. And yes, I encourage everyone to look at the APRA homepage 
um, and check out the Plug Into Data Science event. And I hope to see all you listeners online uh, November 7th and 8th. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Beyond Prospecting, the APRA podcast. To discover all that APRA has to offer, visit aprahome.org. For links to content featured in this episode, check out the show notes. If you like the show and want to help others find us, please subscribe to and rate us on iTunes. Until next time.